Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Pain in the Techest podcast. I'm your host. Actually, not tonight. Nick Sheevy. And I'm Jeff, your temporary host for this evening. And tonight we have a special guest, uh, Nate Webb, who's going to be joining us um, throughout the podcast tonight, giving us all of his wonderful uh, expertise on information security, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm going to shut up now and hand the reins over to Jeff. So um, first, I'd like to introduce Nate. Um, I've known him for about 10 years on and off. And uh, I know that he's been an IT sysadmin for about 10 years, even though he's changed positions recently. So Nate, welcome. Hey, good to be on, guys. And uh, yeah, thank you as well. Um, I just wanted to uh, take a few minutes to uh, allow you to introduce yourself and kind of what you were responsible for in the IT space. Yeah. Uh, again, Nate Webb. I've uh, worked in IT about 10 years now, systems administration. Um, I think Jeff mentioned a minute ago, I just recently, a couple of weeks ago even, um, kind of transitioned to a new role as a full-time PowerShell developer. So uh, still in the in the tech world for sure. But uh, I no longer have to worry about the updates on the computers. Just uh, how to break them with PowerShell. So <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, looking forward to a lot of great content tonight. Uh, I think we've got some great questions and some good stuff to kind of kind of go through. A lot of stuff that's uh, uh, relevant, uh, especially in 2020 right now, uh, to where we're going in tech. And uh, looking forward to get started. Awesome. Uh, thanks so much. Um, now. Nick, I know that uh, you've been in the IT space for quite a while, and though you blame me for a lot of things, being that I am the um, ISP in this case, um, me I never. Do, <laughs> I do, I do, I do appreciate your input on these things. So that's why our roles are kind of reversed this evening. <laughs> um, now, what have you been doing for the past few years, uh, so that we can get an idea of of how you're you kind of mesh together as as an IT uh, questionnaire panel. Sure, sure, sure. So uh, uh, toward the end of college, I was working in um, like the IT department for the University of Maryland. Uh, and since then, I have worked at a retail company. At that retail company, I was the help desk where I learned a lot because I had to. Um, and then I started at a managed service provider about three years ago, working there on the help desk, um, kind of growing my skills. And now these days, I'm not really in a fully um, technical role, more of a, in the administrative side, but I do work as a technical account manager. So now, instead of uh, being the person that breaks your stuff, I explain why it's broken afterwards. Perfect. We're the ones that we, we get to throw you under the bus then when we break it. That's, that's exactly. <laughs> oh, this right. is going to work out perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So I'm just going to start with, um, and this is this is something, uh, this is kind of a list that, that Nick made um, as he has a lot more visibility to this on the on the daily, or did anyway. Uh, more recently, as did you, Nate. Um, so question number one, something that I always have a problem with um, personally, just because I'm I'm rolling through all these passwords that I have in my head and um, 
you know, at work, I've got passwords. I've got passwords at home. I've got passwords at, uh, for my bank. I've got passwords for this, that, and the other thing. And half the time, I don't remember which password is goes to what. I don't really want to write it down because that's not the right way to do passwords. Um, so how do you, Nate, in this particular case, and then we'll move over to Nick, how do you maintain your passwords? That is a great question. Um, I'm not sure there's exactly one answer to fit every single person in the world. Um, we are very different in how we interact with the internet. Uh, sure. and heck, even not, not the internet with, in terms of how many passwords do I have? How many sites do I have to keep up with? Uh, it is a real problem for sure. Um, personally, I use LastPass. Uh, it's one of, uh, several, I'm sure a lot of uh, listeners have heard of password managers, uh, one, one pass key pass, uh, they're self-hosted versions like uh, Bitwarden. Uh, they all kind of do the same thing. That's essentially a, think of it as a secure vault for all of your passwords, and you only remember the key to the vault. So if you can remember you. one password, you can get into your into your uh, your vault and then retrieve the password that it has for everything else. Of course, I mean, it's not a, it's a fair question, I would say. Well, that just means that if that thing gets hacked, then all of my other passwords get hacked. Right. And so... I could definitely see that as a valid question if you're kind of new to the world of password managers. And, you know, rest assured, they have thought of that as well. And so um, the way that LastPass works, and I'll speak to that because I uh, am a consumer of it and I have been for many years. Yep. Um, they encrypt and decrypt locally on your machine. There's no way to say, well, what if LastPass gets breached? You know, they, they've lost all of my data and uh, all, all of my websites are now compromised. Well, LastPass uh, doesn't actually store all of your usernames and passwords and whatever else you have put in there on their servers. It, it is literally your data lives and dies on your PC and they do sync between devices. Uh, they have an Android and iPhone app iOS app, they have uh, all of the major browsers, as far as I know. Um, okay. They have a, a, an extension that goes. And yes, they, they, they are able to sync between those devices. Um, I won't pretend to know all of the details of the cryptography right. that, goes in, it, that goes into that, but there is no data that is stored on their servers. And so there's nothing to breach. Well, I'm sorry to interject their name. No, go ahead. So my understanding, because we use LastPass at my office, um, yes. is and so we have a Teams account, and so uh, we have everybody in my office is able to access that account, and 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 again in the same in the same uh, fashion. I'm not going to pretend to understand how the cryptography works <laughs> on, on all this, right. uh, but my understanding is that it is in fact stored on their server, the database itself, but they don't have. In the same way that we have this argument every couple of years, it seems, about uh, Apple, they don't have the, they don't have your uh, but crypto encryption, keys. encryption key, right? So right. if if the if their web if their you know their servers get hacked into, uh, the only thing that the attacker is able to see is a bunch of encrypted databases okay okay that may be um definitely something that has changed maybe when log me in i believe bought them uh, i didn't actually know that so that is that is good to know but yeah depending on the type of encryption that they're using 
uh, I think if it's bcrypt or, or, or 4096 RSA or something like that, right. at this point, um, it, it would take, you know, and I think it's in the hundreds of thousands of years to, to crack that and just completely uh, above what anything currently that we know of is, is capable of decrypting. So yeah, you would be, you would be right in that case, you know, if they were able to obtain a, a database blob, they don't have the keys to it. And maybe that's the part that happens locally on your machines now is the encryption and decryption is handled uh, on your hardware. And therefore, you know, like you said, LastPass has no uh, uh, encryption keys to uh, to get access to your data then. So, right. Right. Okay. So, if no, you forget that's a good your, distinction. So if you forget your master password, then you're... You're pretty much host at that point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. And that's ultimately kind of what you want to happen. <laughs> right. It's yeah, just a really somebody, scary concept. It is. It is. Because if somebody can help you get it back and you don't remember it, well, I mean, who else are they going to help get it back depending on who asks them? You know? Right. Right. Exactly. Or, or you know, I mean, and that's even on the up and up. Like you said, what if, if, it's, if, if they can get it, then somebody else can get it from them, you know? And so, uh, yeah, that's uh, and that that really is what you want in in a password manager. Uh, if you're just really no, I don't even want that, and I'm the only one that uses this. Uh, there are self-hosted options. I think Bitwarden is a big one uh, that people mention uh, that you can run if you've got hardware at home laying around uh, and you want to manage all of that yourself. Um, of course, you know all, then all of the stuff that comes with. Uh, self-hosting all of your data, you're responsible for <laughs> not breaking it and uh, and making sure you can get to it and that kind of stuff too. Yeah, so for right. sure. Yeah, now that's only one. That's that is just password managers. I have met uh, people before, and I've been asked that question a lot. And I would not recommend a password manager to every single person under every single circumstance, only because for exactly what you just said. Well, what if I forget my uh, my master password. Am I kind of out of luck? Well, yeah, you are. And I don't want someone coming to me. Uh, I, I've been storing everything in there and it just kind of knows it. Well, I got a new computer, uh, you know, three years later and I don't remember my, you know, <laughs> thing. And, I, you know, how do I get all my passwords back? I mean, the answer is you don't, you know. Yeah, they're you, gone. You told me to do that and now I can't get all of my passwords back. <laughs> there is yeah i mean that sounds Boy, like do I will be responsible for that <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so y you really do got to know what you're signing up for uh if you just go out and evangelize one particular solution to every problem uh and so as long as i would just say err on the side of caution be very upfront if you're going to recommend a password manager it is important that you keep up with this, you know, because of this very thing. If your hardware dies tomorrow and you don't remember your password, well, yeah, you can't just turn your old computer back on and get all your stuff and, or at least get into your sites to change their password, you know? So, um, now I, uh, I, I have known people before, uh, who have done things such as, you know, I'm going to write it down on a, on a notebook in my house and I'm just going to keep all of my passwords in a notebook and you're going to say, um, okay, that, that is one way to handle that. The only thing I will say about something like that, where you're storing your passwords in plain text on a piece of paper, the only thing I'll say about that is 
I've never yet seen a foreign intelligence hack a notebook on a desk. Yeah. <laughs> that is the only thing. So if you're talking about something that is air gapped in every sense, uh, you're yeah, that that's true. Now, I mean, your house burns down, you lose them, your kid finds it or your parents find it, you lose, you know, that. So there are there are pros and cons, I think, of of a lot of different solutions. But I recommend a password manager uh, for sure. And LastPass is the one that I use. Yeah. And do you have anything else to add to that, Nick, at all? Or? Oh, yeah. I got all <laughs> sorts of fun. <laughs> oh, Man, you guys, you just, you underestimate me. Um, so, first of all, yeah, I, I do want to, I do want to agree with you on the, on the using of a notebook thing. Um, that's something actually that, I know people that do and it works for them. And yeah. you know, it I I think that it would take me way too long. I, I use the passwords that I use far too frequently between work and home to well, I wouldn't want to tote it around all day. And right. um, you know, the things that sometimes I see are people that have like a Excel spreadsheet on their desktop and that just <laughs> And it's called passwords.ex. <laughs> no, yes, I'm like, ah, oh, come on, man. Uh, I can see that being like a good honeypot. You know, if you uh, <laughs> you name it, you name it like you said, passwords.exe, and all it does is uh, is start a keystroke logger and then email it to yourself or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, personally, I, I actually use KeyPass, and um, okay. I sync my database across my from my uh, next cloud server so we'll get there eventually okay so more of a self-hosted solution there and yeah, yeah. keypass is another big one for sure yeah and it's so it's totally self-hosted i'm I'm looking at the, the statistics right now just because it's fun i have 445 passwords in my in my database 445 wow now you've and got me just... curious here i've got to i've got to see if i can beat you um... <laughs> I'm telling you, man, you just don't realize how many accounts you have until you yeah. have something that's keeping track of it for you. Well, because then signing up for something else becomes, oh, uh, yeah, sure, here, uh, right-click, generate, here, add, and forget, you know. Exactly. You, you do that uh, over five, ten years, and you end up with 440-something passwords. And exactly. And you don't remember later on. Oh, I don't know any of them. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I made a, a – so a couple of things. I, I want to jump back to the notebook thing. Even even though it may not be the best solution in the entire world for everybody, um, certainly not for me, it's, you know, so much better than using the same password for everything. Oh, sure. So, I think we can all agree that is the way not to do it under any circumstance. Right. So, um, you know, we don't do that. Uh, but yeah, so I have, I have my KeyPass um, set up. And I sync it across all my accounts. I have the or across all of the like devices that I use. So um, I have a, a a client on my phone, have a client on my work computer, have a client on my computer at home. You know, um, and I protect it with a key file in addition to the password. And then I also have two factor auth set up set up on the Nextcloud server. So. Mega okay. paranoia. Um, <laughs> and uh, one thing that I really, that I 
am kind of evangelizing as of late. Um, and that was the thing that I was kind of alluding to as we were talking during the pre-show is that the client that I use now um, is KeePass XC. Um, so so KeePass is open source. There are many oh, different clients for it. people can make clients for it. People okay. can make clients for it. All of them will open the you know KDBX database. Okay. As long as you have the like the credentials to get into it. Right. And uh, this one has a good browser integration, which is really nice. But the other thing that it has that is a kind of a recent feature that they added is uh, TOTP support. Okay. So in addition to having Authy on my cell phone, so before I guess I go too far, TOTP is kind of the standard uh, algorithm, I guess. Is that the right? How would you describe? Or like the... Uh, protocol, maybe? Yeah, uh, protocol. It's it's kind of the it's a time based one time password. Right. I, so, I guess probably algorithm would be more the the accurate yeah term for that. But yeah. Um. So it's a so you know people use Google Authenticator, uh, Microsoft Authenticator, uh, Authy. There yeah. are some other ones out there, but essentially all it boils down to is you have an app that you typically you scan a QR code that has the secret inside of it. And tells your phone what that is, and by algorithm algorithmically, it will generate a six-character uh, password on you know every thirty seconds. That when you're logging into an account, you put that password in, and it'll you know be a second factor. So it's two-factor authentication, allowing you to have that second factor to get into your account. Right. So, KeyPass XC now lets you store those secrets inside of the database. And also, like, so you can have it set up. And maybe I, I realize that this is sort of, in a way, defeating the purpose of two-factor. Um, but it's still sort of a two-factor authentication, and it's more convenient than ever. Plus, I don't have to worry about losing all of those two-factor uh secrets which i have hab- have had happened recently and i'm not having that happen again to me <laughs> um it stores all those secrets and it'll generate the code as needed and with the browser integration it'll just whenever you get to that part of your login you just can have it populate the current code for you and uh it just puts it in there it's wonderful makes two factor almost Seamless. It's, it's incredible. Well, the thing that I was talking about before the show, um, and I was telling you that it's kind of antithetical to the whole idea, is uh, you guys use Steam, right? Yeah. Yes. Yep. So every time you log into Steam, if you don't have two-factor set up, you, have, you get an email that has your two-factor code. First of I'll all, have to take your word for that. It's been so long <laughs> since I've had two-factor enabled. Well, it's not. It's email. not anytime okay. you. It's not anytime you log in. It's anytime you log in to a new thing. Oh, unknown device kind of thing. Yep. Okay. The point is, is I like. I want to have two-factor on everything that I can. I don't have issues with that. My issue is being forced into a situation like this where I have to go check an email. I don't know why. It just irks me to no end. Yeah, and I think that's the point. I think they kind of wanted to irk you to no end to get you to sign up for you know two FA. Well, up until I mean, today, I didn't know proper two two FA 
existed for Steam. Oh, okay. Yeah, you just okay. go into the app and it'll yeah. you just press OK and it's done. So yep. there you go. It's called Steam Guard, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, what I learned today, though, is if you have a rooted Android phone, so this is <laughs> uh, both yes. scary and awful at the same time. If you have a rooted Android phone, you can get to the secret. It's in a like text file in the uh, root part of the phone that normally you wouldn't be able to get to. Right. Um, and then you can just put that secret into another TOTP um, you know, manager. And, and to kind of move your move your source of second factor? Yeah, move it away from Steam, the Steam app, to something that is more like your universal app. So I'll put it into Authy, and I'll put it into my KeyPass database. So at the end of the day, it's convenient, but how you did it is slightly terrifying. It's kind of... Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, you, still, you still need to have physical access to the device in question. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, you do. But if there was a, a malicious app on your phone... Oh, for yeah. sure. Up- upload something from somewhere else. And again, it would have to be on a rooted phone, which, I mean, at that point, I think most uh, most people, would, would you would lose any sympathy you had uh, at that point saying, well, you know, you accepted the risks of, you know, X, Y, and we can, that's a whole different debate there. I've had rooted devices uh, yeah, myself we can, before. We can have that discussion but, another day. Yeah. That, sounds like yeah, another, sure. that sounds like another special edition here. Uh, yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> but at that point, you do kind of say, well, you accepted the risk of something like this being possible, and yeah, it would take a, a chain of unfortunate events to you know, download another malicious app, which then knew about that uh, sounds like an exploit or vulnerability or at least a poor design yeah. uh, and took advantage of it to move your Steam second factor away uh, and gain access to your Steam account. Right. Yep. Pretty elaborate way to get a hold of a Steam account, but it's, it exists. Yeah, let me, steal yeah, your, yeah. let me steal your phone and then root it and then... <laughs> yeah, or, or, or get you to download this malicious app and I yeah. happen to know that you're using Steam Guard for your second factor and... yeah. Right. But one thing that I did want to bring up is one time, maybe a year ago now, is I took my 445 uh, passwords. With KeyPass, you, and I'm sure you can do this with LastPass as well, I can export my entire database to like a a CSV. Yeah. Just so I can see what everything is. And more of that for me was to see every single account that had one of my legacy passwords in it. You know, once upon a time, all of us used the same password for everything because we were all ignorant and we didn't know what we were doing. But now we know better. Right. Now we're learning. So I went and exported that database and I went and found every single account that was using one of those legacy passwords and I changed it to something different. So I actually don't have that password being used for anything that is on the public Internet, which I think is fantastic yeah yeah yeah, absolutely absolutely you can uh you can do that in LastPass as well uh i've never done it uh but and, and i'm sure if i were to do that then i would find some in there that were still duplicated from years ago of oh yeah i forgot i had that there i really do need to change that and that's the idea you know right you don't want to have your your master password be the same as any of the accounts inside which are vulnerable to these companies losing their data and they may turn right around to your last pass and try and use it. So, right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so that's, that's obviously one piece. I mean, from as a, as a technician going into homes and businesses with people that don't know their, their I, iCloud password 
ever. Um, <laughs> it makes it very difficult to to do my job sometimes. So those are the things that, you know, sure. that, that I certainly look at, of course. Um, right. So kind of moving from passwords, uh, and I know that now we've kind of talked about having servers at home, and I know that, Nate, I've seen you mention um, having a, a home server and you've tried to move away from any type of uh, off-site hosting or inappropriate third-party hosting or whatever you want to say. <laughs> yeah. um, and I know that um, Nick has kind of, you're kind of in between, I think, on that, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I, um, have, I have a combination of things. So uh, personally, I don't have anything kind of self hosted internally that I would access from external. Um, but I can see the, the draw of course. Um, right. and with all the streaming apps that there are available and all these things, it's hard to kind of quantify as a non-technical person, like why you would set up a Plex server or something of that nature in your home and have to then access it from outside. If you wanted to, you know, do whatever, sure. um, so can you speak a little bit about like what what why you've done what you've done and if it makes sense for yeah for people like no, a normal person if you will. Yeah. Um I will say when I first started um setting up a home lab my intention was I was still a systems administrator at the time my intention was to uh run a VMware lab at home that I could learn I we were a VMware shop at work and so uh, I was a VMware has a program called the VMUG, which is the uh, VMware user group. And you pay, I think it's $200 a year and you get access to all of the super expensive VMware toys that are just multiple, multiple thousands of dollars a year. Uh, and you get it to, uh, to use in a lab environment for, for free, you know, wow, that's granted cool. that you pay $200 a year. Right. And so I was like, that's a no brainer to me as a systems administrator. So I, I, uh, set up a VMware cluster on a couple of PCs I had at home. I stuffed as much RAM as I could into them. You know, I mean, these weren't servers or anything. These were just right. commodity, uh, hardware that would install ESXi on it. And so, uh, you know, I did that for a long time, just really more as a professional thing. And, I said, well, you know, I ran a few things that we ran at work in in test environments, but I said, I've got all this extra capacity here. I might as well, um, you know, see what all else I can do with it. And so it, it kind of started really as a curiosity. But um, as I as I did it, I realized that, I, you know, I was enjoying it. And uh, I guess as other services and I don't want to kind of throw any any huge companies here under the bus, but I'll just say the the really big ones out there uh and there's only about you know a handful you can take your pick because they're all guilty of some or all of you know the the things that violate our what we feel like are our privacy laws right. and rights and that kind of stuff and so i mean i was just really not happy with the way my data was being treated by these companies i didn't appreciate um being a product, even though I paid nothing for these services and, you know, that, and, and again, I will a hundred percent take responsibility for that. Uh, you know, I, we were all younger and we didn't understand and, and even terms of services, uh, update and the way that they do things change. And so I just really did not like the uh, way that some of these companies were headed in terms of the way that they dealt with my data. And I said, Hey, I've got this lab at home and, 
and I've got extra capacity. And so I'm going to start looking at taking control of my data, knowing, you know, it's not because, well, I don't think they're going to keep it safe. That, I mean, sometimes I guess that can be it. It was really more about data privacy. I, I didn't yeah. feel like they were doing a good job uh, of of keeping my data out of the hands of advertisers. And right. It's like it's that. highest it's highest right. bidder stuff, right? So exactly. And they're going to say, well, why would we? We gave you it for free. And I say, you know what? You're right. I'm not going to argue, you know, with that. Yeah. And so I am going to do is uh, take back my data that I can, and and I'm going to start hosting it on site. And so yeah, I uh, I do run. A Plex server. Now, Plex is not open source. Um, if you're not familiar with Plex, it's kind of a media streaming. Think of it like a personally curated Netflix. You know, you can uh, you can take the video files and stuff them on a on a share uh, or or a NAS, or you can just put them on your computer's hard drive. It doesn't care, uh, and right. you can then access that. They have Roku apps. They have Android and iPhone apps. They have uh, just a, a web interface, and it's essentially a way to to kind of curate your home uh, digital media. And so now it's not open source. I mean, so if you really, really just want to be a purist, you can say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go look at some of the other open source. You know, I, I don't necessarily draw that line, so to speak. And that's just personal preference, nothing at all against those are some great apps out there, but, but uh, they didn't have anything to do with why I was, uh, uh, self-hosting. As far as I know, Plex is still on the up and up. I mean, you're always watching, right? Right. And so, uh, but I also run things like, um, oh goodness, I've got, I don't use ESXi anymore. I use a product called Proxmox. They are my hypervisor environment. And so I've got machines that handle auto-updating. I run something called Jenkins, which handles uh, keeping all of my machines and virtual machines up to date. Um, I know here in a little while we're going to look at maybe talking about what kind of gear I have at home in terms of uh, networking. And so yep. I'll preface that a little bit. I've got a Unify controller because I run Ubiquity uh, gear here at the house. Uh, okay. I, I run a chat server for my family. We use Rocket Chat. And uh, so that way we're not, because I, I mean, who among us has not had chat fatigue in terms of how many clients do I have to have on my phone to talk to, you know, this person uses iMessage and they use Google Hangouts and they use text and they use, you know, I don't know. Oh yeah, I've got, There's I've got a thousand three, of them. three myself anyway, so I can. <laughs> right, yes, exactly. So I just decided, all right. Yes, I know I'm introducing a fourth here, you know, but uh, but I got all of our family here using Rocket Chat, and so I've self-hosted that, and a few a few other things, uh, you know, a lot of lot of real uh, sysadmin geeky stuff like PRTG and Grafana and Apache Guacamole, and I run a <laughs> DNS server, so I use IPA for for that, and so I, I, all kinds of all kinds of fun stuff, but uh, but yeah, why I did it. Really, it started out as I want to reclaim my data. It, I do have a lot of fun doing it as well, and I run my blog off of off of here at the house. It's www.natelab.us, uh, and so it's running on the Ghost platform. Yeah, uh, Ghost. You know, it's, it's funny that you. I saw you do that. As I, I was a early adopter of Ghost, and I'm just not. I'm just not as savvy as as others at doing 
any sort of HTML work at all. So um, I just gave up real quick, but it's, it's an amazing platform for sure. So yeah, yeah, it really is. I'm a newcomer to it, but uh, I have not even remotely considered anything else ever since I moved over uh, from what I was doing before that, which was really just static HTML and CSS. So yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and you mentioned the, uh, it was natelab.us. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, yeah, www.natelab.us, and that's my place where I document stuff so that I can go back and later remember how I did it. Oh, I mean, it's really more for, for, for the people to understand. Uh, it's your own yeah. Google search, yes. Yeah, yeah, it really is. It was, okay, now, how did I do that again? Uh, <laughs> um, and you can you can, uh, you can can chat up Nate over on Twitter at, um, at ArtisanBCrafter, is that correct? Okay, and that is because um, artisan bike crafter was too many characters. <laughs> oh my, that's terrible. Uh, um, yeah. So, um, see, that's that sounds like a, that does sound like a lot of fun because I, you know, I have you know five full hard drives right now, so I'm sure I could use another machine to store some things, um, <laughs> so I can access them. Um, so I kind of want to move to um, Nick a little bit on how on how you kind of deal with your data and your content what gotcha. kind of things are you using at your house yeah so i kind of started the same way that nate did um i think that a lot of people in the you know it professional it world just end up setting up a home lab to try and have something that they can experiment on that isn't going to be a prod environment that if it explodes that you're going to be ruining somebody's day right especially your own <laughs> um <laughs> So that was what I did. I, I set up. Well, actually, I'll t- actually, that's not even true. I'd have to go back. I actually started with a. Um, I think it, I actually started with a Plex server um, back in like 2015 or so. And, you know, I, I set up like a little box in my living room that was running Ubuntu um and just gave it a couple of things and did you know then i could just play with it you know and then and then right. uh from there i added an own cloud server at the time so and then and kind of how this evolved was i decided i realized that i wanted to have something to take all of my data when i'm out and about and doing work and doing personal stuff and most of the the pay to play or you know in, uh, software as a service platforms at the time and really still um well especially at the time at the time you could you would get like 20 bucks a month for your terabyte of space on Dropbox they've kind of added smaller tiers now for more entry level things but at the time that was kind of the base level you started with a terabyte at 20 bucks a month and i was like you know, that's a lot of money, really, for me, who was like yeah. a college, you know, college student at the time. And uh, if I could find a way to host it at home, then I could maybe spend $200 now. But if the computer lasts three years, then I'm making out better in the end. And I've learned something along the way. Right. Um, and so I did that. And uh, and then later along, you know, uh, Nextcloud came into being. A um, little bit of drama there over in Germany. 
uh, the oh, yeah. founder of own cloud being like, you know what? Fuck you guys. You move too slow. I'm starting a new project. <laughs> yeah. I remember um, that. Yeah. And so when that happened, I decided to move over to NextCloud. I actually in place upgraded my own cloud server to a NextCloud, NextCloud server. And, uh, and it still exists to this day, albeit as a VM <laughs> on my ESXi environment. So, um, over time, the hardware has evolved. These days, I have a tower server uh, that has its own uh, 15K drives that I keep all the OSs on, and then a, uh, a Synology NAS that I put all the data on. And so I have a, I have the I have the Plex server, which is a separate thing now. It used to live on the same. Uh, same same OS as Nick as as Nextcloud or OwnCloud, but that's now its own thing. I have the Nextcloud VM. I have a Unify controller VM, actually, yep. as it turns out. Yep. Um, I have a, and then I have a DC. I have a domain controller that I spun up just so I could learn more about how to manage a Windows environment, and right. I set up. Uh, and I talked about this in the episode that will be dropping in 15 minutes, as a matter of fact. And now I've ruined the entire uh, illusion. <laughs> the space-time space yeah. continuum is broken. <laughs> um, I talk about it in that episode. Uh, but the I have folder redirections set up on my, on my desktop at home because I just wanted to learn more about how that works. Oh, um, yes. This was about yeah. games. Yeah, it was about games. <laughs> games don't like folder redirect well more importantly they don't like it when your profile is fucked up <laughs> yeah yeah i could see that um so this is the part in the episode when i realize i don't know what you're talking about mostly <laughs> um, so, <laughs> but that's why i'm the host see um there you go yeah so now this is it's funny because the the only hosting I've ever done with with in my home is gasp here for a second. Um, Windows <laughs> Windows Media Host or whatever it was called that you could run stuff through the Xbox 360 and you could watch your movies from your computer on your Xbox <gasps> oh, wow. 360. Yeah, yeah that so that was that was my only that was my only hosting I've ever done, <laughs> <laughs> which doesn't even really count. But. Um, so it's interesting to hear um, the home setup because that's, you know, I, I have my own home setup. I had I have an oddly shaped house. It's kind of like an L. So no matter what I do with Wi-Fi, it didn't really work so good if I only had one device. So I had to get a couple of different routers that, you know, can speak to each other, create a mesh network, blah, blah, blah. Um, extend, extenders just don't work for me as they don't work for many other people. Yeah, um, mesh I'm mesh is what it's all about at this point. So, <laughs> um, for the general home user, I'd agree with that for sure. Yeah. Um, the so now, um, I know that Nick knows this. Uh, I don't know that. Well, Nate, you probably do remember, but I think it's been a while since we talked about it. Uh, being that I do do uh, a lot of business class work uh, for the ISP that I work for. The general consensus is that 
uh, for a anything above a small business, you're basically required, not required, but you should have a separated firewall in place, especially if you're maintaining any sort of static IP. Um, yeah. Oh, for sure. Any, anything and, that's going to talk from the inside to the outside is going to have a firewall or like you said, or at least it sure as hell better have right. a firewall. But any consumer router is going to have a firewall whether anybody knows it or not. Right. So the, I think the I'm going to combine two of these questions together. Yeah. Um, being that how important as a home user to have a separate firewall in place aside from the ISP gateway. Like, is the ISP gateway enough or do we really need to put it in pass-through and start using our own firewall? Well, the ISP gateway um, that most people get is kind of this all-encompassing black box and they really don't know what all's inside of it except that uh, the guy that came and installed it said, you plug your cable in here and everything will work. And so, you know, to most people that say, I don't know what it is. I don't know anything at all about it, but I know I got to, I got to plug, you know, the, the, the router that I have or the, the access point I have into this in order to get Wi-Fi. And sometimes you don't even need that, that anymore. I think a lot of the newer ones uh, are pretty much just a, they run everything into your house and they say, what do you want your Wi-Fi to be named? And you tell them and then they leave. And then that's all you ever know about it. Right. You know? and, and so that is, that's kind of where we are right now uh, with, at least as far as I, as far as I understand with the, you know, what and, the yeah, ISP and provides. You're, you're, you're right on point on that. Most of them are all gateways now and you just, it's plug yep. and play. What do you want your password to be? Blah, blah, blah. Yep. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think it's a matter of everybody's different and we all have different needs in terms of what we want to get out of the Internet. Um, some people don't really care, uh, uh, you know, or, or no. They just say, I just want to get on Facebook or I just want to check my email or, you know, and I mean, that's that's fair. I'm not going to say that is not the right way to use the Internet for anybody. And I don't want to fiddle with this. I don't know anybody that, you know, is is technically savvy and, or, you know, I don't want to, I'd feel bad if I had somebody help me. I just want it to work. Right. Um, I, I would never give anybody a hard time about only using an ISP provided equipment. Um, that said, I, I, uh, I personally don't, you know, have any, any ISP equipment in my house. I'm, I'm fortunate enough here to, uh, have fiber. And so I just have an RJ 45 ethernet <laughs> jack provided for my ISP. Uh, and I hook it straight into my ubiquity gateway gotcha. uh, and run all of my stuff that way. Now that, you know, I know most people don't have that. And so, yeah, I, I've also done the, I'm going to buy my own router and I'm gonna plug it into my ISP's device, but now I've got to put it into bridge mode. And, you know, I mean, you can see where the technical debt starts to add up. Yep. Uh, if you want to start doing that, I'll always recommend that's the best way to do it. But I won't necessarily recommend that to everyone who asks. I think it really depends on the needs of the person that's asking the situation, the amount of, of uh, technical you know skill that they either have or want to maintain. For sure. Um, the so going to Nick for a second um, in that same vein, I think that um, you know I think we've we've talked a lot about ISP stuff before um, and. You know, personally, I I don't use my own ISPs 
I mean, I use the modem just because it has phone attached to it, but otherwise I run, you know, internet right through uh, my own firewall, <clears throat> my own router itself. So, um, and is that something, you know, as I'm sure Nate would probably recommend as well, if it's, if it's somebody that seems like they're interested in learning more, then obviously that's probably a good place to start is kind of get your own stuff yeah. and, and work on it that way. Yeah. Um, I think that for most people, um, that the ISP router is probably okay. Um, I think where I draw the line is exactly kind of where we were talking earlier is if you are going to be doing stuff on your internal network that you want to have, that you want to access from outside of your network, that that's probably the time that you need to get the yes. ISP router out of the, out of the equation. Cause right. Right. Absolutely. By default, the ISP router is going to block most malicious traffic. Um, but it's not going to give you a whole lot of options in terms of passing things through. And if it does, it's probably not doing an incredible job of it. Mm -hmm. um, right. So that's well, kind of where... Additional ports blocked in there as well that you would never know because they're not commonly used until you want to start doing some of that fancy stuff. Well, you know yeah. what's interesting? I have a soapbox that I want to stand on for just a second. <laughs> All right. Do I, I need to play some intro music or something? <laughs> <laughs> Just a second, I promise. Okay. I have I have RCN at home, and okay. they from the net from their level from before it hits my modem, which belongs to me, they block port eighty. Okay. So I can't, can't run a web server off of it. You can't run an unencrypted web server off. Uh, of it. Unencrypted. Yes. Yeah. There there are ways around that, but you're adding complexity to your setup. Yeah. So I mean. I my web server I have running on four four three. Right. So and honestly it kind of helps a little bit because I I know that it's running on four four three. So if I type HTTPS when I'm going to that page, I'm the only one that I really want to have access to it anyway. Right. So, so it doesn't matter. It's fine. Right. Um but you couldn't do something like have an AD to four four three redirect to where when somebody types in domain.com, you know, it redirects to HTTPS domain.com. Right. Uh, because you don't have port eighty exposed, it would simply it would simply deny. Yep. And that was the lesson that I learned uh, <laughs> shortly after switching to RCN. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, you also couldn't do like a let's encrypt if you're doing certificate renewal because I think it uses port eighty as its challenge. Yeah. So yeah. I uh I, I could definitely do DNS do based uh, challenges yeah. now, and hope your DNS provider has an API that would uh, respond to Let's Encrypt requests. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Well, it sounds like you have a, a shared agreement here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, the ISP is going to do what's in their own best interest, and that is, we're going to block. Web servers, we don't want you running a business out of your house. We want you to pay for a business line and a static IP. They're going to block, uh, you know, SMTP port 25 outbound. We don't want a compromised device sending thousands of emails through our network. I mean, right. they're going to do what's in their own best interest, and it's going to be completely invisible to 99% of people because they're not doing the type of things that we're we were just talking about. about. Yeah, right. exactly. 
And so you run into those kind of things when you start trying to tinker and have, you know, a little bit more freedom. Uh, like you said, running a web server that I want accessible over, you know, 443. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it just it depends on the person, really. Yeah. So how do you feel about that? We've we've answered that in, in reasonable. Yeah, uh, I think so. Yeah. All right. Um, so kind of moving on. Um, we're going to uh, we're going to go into something that um, I've definitely talked about at work a lot. I don't know a lot about them, so I'm hopefully going to leave them to you two to talk about. Um, but I go into a lot of businesses now where um, they have VLAN set up um, and right. for specific purposes. In some cases, uh, I work with a gentleman who sets up VLANs for like port specific on his switch. So if he plugs in a phone, it knows to go to this place. And if he plugs in a computer, it goes, it, he knows it goes, sure. it goes to that place. Um, and is that something that's something that you could use at home or is that mainly for business wise? Oh, absolutely. Well, you could use that at home. I'm going to let Nick speak first on this one. Well, actually I want to pause and let you explain what a VLAN is before we, uh... that's true. That's a good point. Oh, you want me to? Oh boy! No, not wow. not not you, Jeff. I was Jeez. I was I was actually passing that off to Nate. Sorry. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Yes, uh, VLAN stands for Virtual LAN. If you're familiar with a LAN network, a local address network, um, it, it's a virtual. Think of it as an entire network that's encapsulated uh, virtually, and so its its design is to separate different types of traffic from seeing each other. Uh, especially things that maybe don't need to see each other. Like like Jeff said, you've got, uh, I, I, if I plug a phone in, I need it to only communicate with the outside. I don't want you snooping around whatever else is on, on my network. Right. Uh, you know, or, or something. Oh, if I know what your MAC address is, then I'm going to allow you to perform, you know, discovery. If, if, uh, if I don't know who you are, I'm dumping you straight out to the only thing you can do is outside, you know, that kind of thing. Right. It's, it is a, it's a security boundary. Now I'm not going to profess to know that yes, VLANs are 100% isolated from each other. I'm sure there are some of our friends at the NSA who would snicker, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, in general, I think it is it is kind of accepted as a way to uh, either keep traffic clean in terms of I don't want a bunch of noisy broadcast traffic, uh, you know, from cl- cluttering up right. uh, broadcast domains, or also it is a security boundary. And most people would agree, yeah, that's how they're that's how they're typically used to kind of keep different types of traffic, and you can define type however you want, you know, different types of devices or they ha- they need different things, different levels of trust, um, th- that kind of thing. So yeah, I I do use VLANs at home. Okay. Um, if uh, let's see, I've got a I've got an IoT VLAN. I currently don't have anything on it because I don't have any IoT devices. <laughs> but I <laughs> okay. I went ahead and set it up just in case I ever wanted to. If I get something I'm not sure about, I want to try it out. I need to put it on the internet, but I don't want it talking to the rest of my network. I have firewall rules that do exactly that. They they say, look, you're not allowed to get to anything. You can't communicate with anything on the network. The only thing you can do is go all the way out and, and back in. 
But uh, but that's my IoT VLAN. I've got a guest network VLAN. Of course, every consumer router nowadays is going to give you the option of a guest network. Right. Uh, they don't get into the concept of VLANs because honestly, you know, that's kind of really that's not a consumer term that would make right. sense to anybody. And so they just call it a whole right. different VLAN. Um, but I've got a management VLAN. Only my access points and my switches go on it. It's really just for management devices only. I don't have any client devices. And then I've got a lab VLAN, which is, you know, I've got, actually I have multiple lab VLANs, but I've got an AD environment here uh, with domain controllers and I've got a Linux Realm uh, that runs some on uh, some of my lab stuff. And so, yeah, I've got a whole bunch of different VLANs here and they all have firewall rules around them. I do have some holes laterally between VLANs on things that need to communicate. Um, but that's all on a, on an exception basis, not really as a rule, as a rule, everything is kind of firewalled off uh, straight out the internet and, or, or conversely, no internet and only locally and so so yeah i mean i do think there is a there is a a point to having vlans at home it can be a great learning thing too because any enterprise network you go to in america or 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 anywhere really is going to i hope you know have vlans set up because you don't really want a flat network uh in in a enterprise environment and so it's, it's a great learning experience too you get to learn about how traffic is tagged uh you know versus untagged and how it's routed what jumbo frames are and what that means and what an mtu is and all you know it's a great learning uh thing as well so yeah i would definitely say use vlans at home if you're interested in that yeah when i was um when i was doing some light tech work for one of the uh one of the local guys here i was setting up servers and um you know doing just I'm I'm more of a hardware guy. I've put together a couple, probably. I don't even know at this point. In 25 years, probably 100 computers. So, um, wow. You know, I've done my my share of hardware work. Uh, I'm a troubleshooter by trade, kind of. So, um, we used to, we had a VLAN there set up for anybody that came in with their PC that was causing trouble. You just plug it in there. You need to get online, do do work, but you don't want it to affect your all your right. work stuff. So right. um, that was obviously the, you know, the way to do it at that time. I just didn't understand what it was. And now I have a little bit better understanding of what it is. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's interesting. I, I had not thought of guest network as a VLAN, but it makes sense because they don't really talk to the standard LAN at that point. You're just a guest on the network. So that makes sense. Right. Um, and what about you, Nick? Do you have any VLAN stuff in your house? Yeah, so uh, this is a relatively recent development, I guess, Um, just because, you know, I'm learning over time. Um, But I I have I have an Internet of Things VLAN that I think I I put my nest on there. Um, There might be a couple other things, but not a lot. Um, And then I have my guest network, which is just that's the one that I give everyone when they come over to the house. Right. Right. And then uh, I have my internal network. So I don't I, I guess I, I should probably set up a management VLAN, but I haven't gotten to that point yet. Um, but yeah, so the, and then the internal network uh, is where most of my production stuff is. And then my guest and uh, IoT stuff is 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 like you said before, it just goes out to the public Internet and can't talk to the stuff inside. Right. Yep. 
the only reason I added a couple of lab networks to mine is I didn't want uh, any of my wife's devices accidentally talking to uh, <laughs> to, to DNS. Uh, you know, because I mean, if if I'm playing around with internal DNS, then I don't want her devices to stop working because they can't respond to queries properly. And so, right, right, I really right, needed right. to be able to provide multiple DNS servers for different networks. And with a VLANs piece of cake, you just you can manually specify what DNS servers are available. And so say, hey, everybody else goes out these DNS servers, but here locally, I, you know, resolve my internal stuff here with these different. And so. Gotcha. Right. Yep. And that that way you can even limit what they can see too. So. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, you know, that's, I guess it's something that I certainly need to look at. I mean, obviously, like I said, the guest network is an interesting, not an interesting concept, but obviously I know about it. So, but I, I just didn't yeah. kind of tie the two together. Well, and to um, be fair, most consumer grade hardware uh, routers, uh, be it ISP or third party, are not really going to have support for VLANs because that's not really a home feature in most routers. Um, right. There may be some. I'm not 100% versed uh, on network hardware anymore for the home. I've been a Ubiquity shop here at, at home for a long time. Uh, Ubiquity is kind of more between full-on enterprise and full consumer. So kind right. of a pro, prosumer with some enterprise sprinkling in there. And they yeah. do offer full VLAN support. Gotcha. So. Um, so I guess as we briefly mentioned IoT, um, the Internet of Things, for those of, that don't understand what that uh, abbreviation is, um, is it something that you've considered having in your home, Nate? Uh, I know Nick said that he has the Nest. Um, I have a <clears throat> Wemo switch. Uh, that's about as far as I've gone into IoT. Um, is that something that you have or thinking about having? Don't want to have? Um, I know that's a it, you know that becomes a privacy situation, right? So yeah, yeah um, it can. Um, I think it's really all about what you consider an acceptable risk. And for that, every you know everybody's going to have a different answer to that question. I, I wouldn't necessarily say anything and everything. Uh, come on in. You know, let's all just have a party on this network. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I don't think that's the right answer for anybody. Uh, I'm not also one of those people that say under no circumstances will anything ever touch this network that, you know, has not been vetted hardware and software and firmware. Um, because you just never know. I, I think for me, the right answer is somewhere in the middle. Uh, I don't have a Nest currently. Um, you know, I, I'm not, I've just never, you know, needed or, or thought I needed, you know, something like that. Because right. what I have works. If it dies, w w would I look at something like that? Sure. Yeah. Um, I would say that I'm not really a fan of things like the, the, uh, doorbells that have the videos in them. Uh, I do know that there have been some cases where oh, you know, ring or whatever it is. Yeah, I think yeah. that's what it is. Where law enforcement can, within I think a twelve mile radius of any crime, uh, get a no warrant copy of any uh, any uh, uh, camera within twelve oh, miles boy. of that, even if it's your you know that that's watching your newborn sleep. You know that has no bearing on. And why would they do that? I'm not going to ask. I just well, would rather not be a part of that system. That's that's a personal choice. And so <laughs> if you have one, if you know somebody that has one, great, you know, good for you. Not not a problem. Just <laughs> I'm just not going to, you know, <laughs> I'm just not going to sign up for that personally. 
uh, just as a personal choice, that's something I don't agree with. All right. Yeah. I mean, I I don't have one either. Um, but my my understanding is that you actually have to opt in to okay. allow oh, okay. law enforcement to access your video. So. Well, let's 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 good. For, take let's that go a little bit. Take that with a grain of salt in terms let's of sure, yeah. you yeah. trust yeah. Amazon enough to is, actually be telling the truth. But exactly, yes. <laughs> is you got to know that it's at the t in the TOS at the very end. There's a checkbox that you don't even look at, and then that oh, is. sure, yeah. Oh, and by the way, you opt into this. Have a nice day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know, but uh, I probably won't be finding out anytime soon. Uh, and it's, uh, to be honest, even if that weren't, you know, I don't really have a need to see who else. I, there's like four people a year that come to my door. <laughs> <laughs> you know, most of them work for UPS. And so, okay. uh, you know, I work from home anyway. So it, look, but we can't get a video of them fixing your pillows on your deck, you know, or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. So I don't know. But yeah, in terms of IoT in general, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I've got no problem with some of it now, you know, some of the, some of the, uh, cheaper stuff, I say cheaper in terms of, uh, typically quality or thought put into the product, or there's just things that should not exist, <laughs> right. you know, wireless, you know, toothbrush or something. I don't know. I, I'm not a big fan of, I can't drink my coffee until I update the firmware in my cup. That's that to me is just too far. And I don't really go for that kind of stuff but right the, you know a smart plug into, yeah getting into terminator stuff here and yeah i, I really don't want to contribute to skynet <laughs> so uh, yeah th- that stuff's not for me i just think it's stupid right? <laughs> <laughs> you know so uh, i'm not here but yeah like thermostats and and even you know some people like the the alexas and the google homes and that kind of stuff and i mean it's not for me but i'm not gonna say you know no you should never have that and they're spying on you. They may be, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't work for those companies, but I'm right. not, I'm not quite, my tinfoil hat's not really quite that tight. So I can still take it off if I have to. Exactly. Exactly. And I know Nick, you have the infamous uh, starts with an A ends with an A device. I don't want to say it in case it turns anybody's on while we're talking. Um, oh yeah. It is the- sitting next to my desk. I just <laughs> muted it so I can say its name. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> fair um, warning for anyone listening with, with yes. that device uh no i do have an echo sitting next to my desk and um i do have another one in my living room i you know i i completely agree i think that it's all right to have internet of things stuff on your network i as you can as you can tell you know you and i are both paranoid enough that we have iot VLANs on our network to sure. segregate them from the internal network. And I think that for people like us, that is something that we can do because we can. Um, yeah, because it doesn't require a whole lot of extra work to set up something like that for in our circumstance. Now, would grandma want a, a VLAN to get her Alexa working? No, you know, absolutely not. <laughs> right. But, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I, I think ultimately um like you said it's a it's a it's an accepting of a certain amount of risk and you know whether you, whether you trust the company or not to whatever extent um yeah but ultimately yeah i i, I agree you know i'm not gonna people have and obviously i have this stuff in my home so i i don't even you know i'm not gonna live in a glass house and throw rocks so <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> that's fair i suppose um 
So one last question. Uh, I know it's it's been a little bit here, uh, and, and Nick's going to have a lot of editing to do. Um, <laughs> the <laughs> um, the uh, I think uh, antivirus uh, is kind of like it's one of those things now that you know you need, but there's just so much out there, and there's antivirus is doesn't account for uh, you know worms and uh, various and sundry other poor, poorly written programs uh, or, uh, you know, any, right. other, any other type of hacking other than antivirus. Now, some antivirus products do have those extras included, depending on what you get. Um, but as somebody that does go into people's homes and uh, sees the, the, the various and sundry types of antivirus that people are using, and also that Internet Explorer stops working because they press no on something that you cannot reverse uh, without, you know, reinstalling the program and unreversing it right. is always uh, challenging, to say the least. So is what kind of antivirus do you guys use? Is it more of like you're speaking like an enterprise solution? Or are you using something, uh, you know, consumer based? What, what, what do you think? Ending on a real riveting subject here. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> um, I, I, I personally don't use any third-party antivirus uh, okay. at all, and I haven't for uh, probably a decade or more. Um, I Hackers, used to attack. Yes, yes, please, please come get me. Um, there was a time, a long time ago, probably in my early teens, uh, that I used third-party antivirus um i really don't see the need for it anymore um security is not really a on or off switch in terms of you have this therefore you're secure you don't have this therefore you're not secure um i think it's it's really more of a layered approach you need a good firewall with good firewall rules you need you know some some form of antivirus even if it's not third party uh, i still recommend something uh and at least especially on on uh and i won't say no linux and mac don't get viruses i've I've seen them uh and and they do that said i i have never installed an antivirus on any linux boxes that i've ever uh had before and i don't own any macs but uh windows has built-in windows defender i think it does a great job uh for what it is now it didn't used to uh but in more recent versions of windows especially since windows 10 it's gotten a lot better and honestly most of the antivirus companies all subscribe to the same threat list anyway um and so kind of behind the scenes they're all checking with some variants they're all checking a lot of the same uh you know subscriptions of these are bad these are good these signatures are you know, and so it's all the same signatures that that they all compare, and I've just seen third-party antivirus do way too much bad, you know, than I just good old Windows Defender. Right. And so I think just having safe browsing habits costs nothing, and for sure. And so just be careful where you go, what you click on, um, that will get you further than than a whole lot of, uh, you know, look, I, just, I need to be able to click anything with no ramifications and just have some kind of technology magically save me. That will never, I don't think, be <laughs> yeah, that's a not good way to answer. go about it. Right, right, right. right. 
User education, I think, will save more PC infections than any, the best antivirus out there. And so, you know, combine that with something in your browser uh, that can handle either tracking, blocking, or ad blocking. Right, like a blacklist or whatever. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I'll say go out and support the websites that you want to. Uh, for sure. I, I would never advocate just a blocking of all ad networks of every website ever because I never want to see ads. Then, you know, that's a that's a again, a, a deeper conversation there. Right. But um, support the websites that you uh, feel are worthy of your support uh, for sure. But also knowing that malicious ad networks can compromise. It's another layer of security between yourself and you know the uh, the wild west out there on the internet right and so and yeah to get i guess kind of back to the original question i don't use any 30 third party av on my windows boxes i just use the built-in defender and it works great and, hold and, on hold on shock face you have, <laughs> wi- you have windows boxes I, I do have some windows oh boxes. my be still my yes. heart yes well as a powershell developer i do have uh <laughs> Again, PowerShell works perfectly fine nowadays on on Linux and Mac, but there is still some Windows-specific stuff that I need. And so I do have a Windows box here, but uh, I use it mainly for work. Uh, And so, yeah. But uh, again, no no third-party antivirus on here. Uh, So that's kind of my setup. Well, I won't won't shy away from that either because I don't use any third-party because uh, when I was using another third party which i thought was good out of the top three or the top three like non norton mcafee ones right they wouldn't let me install a video game and i said this video game is on steam dude (laughs) you think that steam is gonna let me get viruses from their servers i don't know about that anyway um (laughs) so um so Nick, what about you? Are you a uh, are you waiting for the hackers to show up? So I guess I'm just gonna like completely shit over shit all over you guys and your <laughs> and your ideas here. Um, <laughs> although you're gonna make fun of me in like three seconds, so it's fine. Um, so here's here's a, I'm gonna plant the seed of paranoia for you here, Nate. Okay. Are you the only person at your at your house that uses the computers at your house? Yes, on my computers I am. Oh, okay. Well, then that's fair. But what about but what about the other computers on your network? Do they <laughs> not have AV? Well, uh, all the other computers on my network are Linux machines. Even my wife is full Linux, and my kids don't have computers yet. So every computer, as far as I'm going through them in my head here, uh, every computer, <laughs> uh, as far as I can remember now, yeah, has it's either it's a Linux box. And yeah, there are antiviruses out there for for Linux, but I frankly have never fooled with it. Maybe I should. Maybe I should say, "Oh, I can't have these." Uh, no, nah, I think you're these good. Ubuntu users out here with without some form of antivirus. But nobody's running. Nobody's writing uh, viruses for for Linux. <laughs> yeah, and that really is why it's not that it's any more Im- imperviable to to viruses. It's more it's a smaller attack surface, and people don't waste their time with it. Right. As much. Um. But actually, yeah, I do. I do actually have uh, Norton antivirus installed on my <clears throat> my home workstations. I, you know, I, I agree with you to a certain degree that if you 
are smart about your internet browsing and you know like you just go to trusted websites that you should be fine um but i don't know uh, there are those malicious net ad networks like you were saying and the last time that i didn't have av i so after i i had a xfinity slash comcast for my isp when i first moved into the house that i'm in now and they gave me free norton where you know part of my subscription came with norton right right and i installed it because it was there and it figured might as well um and it found some uh keyloggers and some other fun stuff well, let me ask you: Do you do you trust that Norton actually found them, or or do you think that they say they found them to kind of upsell you? I don't yeah, know. That's a fair question. It's a fair question. Um, I will tell you this: I have since canceled my Xfinity subscription, right. and and thus lost the the free quote unquote Norton subscription. Yeah. Um, when I switched over to RCN. I thought maybe I'd be saving myself some headache by just subscribing to Norton because, as you and I both know, un- uninstalling AV is like trying <laughs> to remove a virus. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So I was like, well, I'll just subscribe to Norton and have it just keep doing what it was doing. But that didn't end up being the case because right. you can't buy the version of Norton that Xfinity gives out. So, oh, okay. Um I ended up having a different product when I subscribed, so I had to uninstall that version of Norton and install my new version of Norton. At some point I'll probably switch to something else. For folks that are listening yeah. and are concerned about this themselves, here's the thing. I think in terms of consumer advice, I think normal end users should have antivirus on their computers. Okay. Um, but I think they're fine with something like Avast or AVG or Panda Free. Like, like you were saying, um, they all pretty much draw from the same, uh, lists. Right. So you're probably getting about equal, uh, quality from each of them. And they're like, like, like I said, those are ones that are free. So you get a pretty good experience in terms of protection without having to pay anything. I decided to go this route because I already had the Norton and because I was trying to avoid being advertised to whenever I'm on my computer. Fun fact, it didn't go away even though I'm paying them. (laughs) Let me go find my shock face. It's right here. (laughs) My shock face. (laughs) So if you go into the settings, you can turn off the advertisements. Uh, but it just, I was so, I was so pissed off when I found out that I was still being advertised to, even when I was paying them, but it's neither here nor there. Anyway, since switching to the new product, it didn't find any new stuff. So if they, if they were doing that to start with, I don't know, but they haven't done it since switching to a different product. So Take that for what it's worth. I guess I'm kind of yeah. No, no. I I, yeah. That's a that's a fair stance. I mean, I I can see that. Um, I guess really my my question. 
would be why is a company who I gave my money to to buy their product now giving me advertisements? They already have my money. Are they trying to double? They want you to upsell you. There's right, more, okay. more shit that you can buy. Oh, yeah, they're always this. <laughs> they're always this, right? You know. And so, and I, that I'm, I'm reminded of a story where AVG updated their their privacy policies, pri- privacy policy to essentially say, um, we will only sell your non-identifying data now. In other words, your your data profile. <laughs> and I said, oh, and you know what that means. Thank you very much. You know, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely nothing is what it means. <laughs> it, look, it may not have this is Nate Webb on it, <laughs> but it, it'll still say, uh, you know, I mean, it's all just profile based anyway. Yeah. In terms it, of that, it, they're going to know. Here's what guy named, Nate Webb is to start with. Here's this guy it, named yeah. normal, normal male with. Exactly. You know, whatever. Yeah, and they're going to correlate that with a thousand other points of data, and, and it's just all going to get added into the matrix of advertising data yep. uh, about you. And I just, you know, that's kind of why I started self hosting anyway, uh, as well, to try and get away from companies, you know, selling my data. If it's free, then they're making their money somehow, and usually it's right. selling something. But uh, I mean, I, yeah, I do definitely, I do definitely agree. At, at some point, you need to have multiple layers of security between your fingers on the keyboard and the websites that you're interacting with, you know, be that at the browser level, at the firewall level, at the, at the computer, you know, system OS level with, with antivirus, you know, the more layers between you and the bad actors that you can put, I think the better your overall results will be. You're just adding inconvenience at every layer. So you got to really determine what's best uh, for, for you. Yeah, I think I think you said it right there. The inconvenience at every layer is just like the inconvenience of having grandma set up her LastPass or her Ubiquity server. You right, know, it's not, exactly. It's not really going to be useful when she clicks on internet and and then calls Comcast because Com- Comcast's not working, but Comcast <laughs> is working on the command line level. But sorry that you're in your uh you know your Norton deleted your <laughs> Internet Explorer. So you know, sure, it's yeah. just one of those things. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's gonna it's gonna be a little different for every every person, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I, that's that's quite an episode. And Nate, uh, we really appreciate you coming on. This was fantastic. I'm I'm happy yeah. to have a uh, somebody with with so much uh, so many resources and experience. It's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thanks. Uh, thanks for allowing me the chance to come on and talk. Absolutely. I, I wouldn't mind having you back at some point for sure. So yeah, uh, we'll keep that open. And uh, Nick, you ready to close it up, sir? Yes, let's do it. I'm taking it back, baby. Uh, (laughs) All right. Well, uh, thanks again, Nate. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, Thank you, everyone. All six of you this time that are listening. (laughs) We're growing this audience (laughs) exponentially. Exponentially. Um, (laughs) uh, Thank you all for listening. why don't you go ahead and tell us again where we can find you on the them internets, uh, Nate? Yeah, uh, I'm usually active on Twitter at artisan b crafter, and uh, you can always find my blog www.natelab.us. Great, and Jeff, I'm at g u i d o t on Twitter, and you can also find me on Facebook at Half Assed Gaming. Wait, did you say it's just Guido T now? 
or 42 or something. <laughs> no one's ever going to find you on the internet. No, it's fine. Uh, I'm going to search uh, Twitter for Jeff and to see what happens. There you go. It'll, it'll come up because you're, you already follow me. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I am at It's Shivi, Um And you can email us at info at paininthetech.us or you can at us on Twitter at uh, Techist Podcast. And we were talking before the show, we're going to be adding a Facebook thing here soon, I think, maybe. Um, but for now, that's where you can reach us. And we will see you in the next one. Thanks again. Have a good night. Bye-bye.